0: The weekly Hugh Demon. Full steam ahead. Welcome to episode Forte. <laughs> it's not forty, forte. It's like those idiots who still say parte instead of party. It's like, that was pretty cool back in the early 1990s, but... Or vacay. That's awful. I went on vacay. It's just horrible thing to hear. <laughs> it just jars my ears. But actually, this is not episode 40. It's 47. I had seven podcasts I released on the old Anchor software. And by the way, that feed's still out there. For a variety of reasons, I decided not to discontinue it, so... I post to both feeds. doesn't matter which one you subscribe to. I prefer you subscribe to the current feed. Uh, But it's not going to make any difference to your listening experience. So it just doesn't matter. The reason, um, in case you're curious or don't remember what I said back in September of last year. The reason I went with a new feed is because I own that feed. And so I'm not subject to Anchor and its whims. It's like I have a Spotify subscription. I'm always concern what happens if they completely screw me over and say hey it's not going to be two dollars and eighty cents anymore it's going to be 200 bucks a month or something yeah i'm just screwed i'm just assuming that won't happen or or like apple they start putting in all sorts of demonic and dictatorial commands that you have to follow if you want to be part of their universe <laughs> and so and so i get it why some people don't like to go on spotify they want to own their music i get it but um that's the same reason I did this with with uh with the new feed. I want to control my own feed i I own it, so I'd rather go to that in case I ever need to drop the anchor feed. you know you're on the good one, the permanent one, so to speak anyway, so it's not really episode four it's really forty seven but if you're on the new feed, it shows forty big news for all us g. k. Cheston fans out there last Thursday or Friday, the Bishop of Northampton where Cheston lived. Denied his cause of canonization. He said G.K. Chesterton was not a saint. Which is just a blasphemy to the Chestertonians out there. That's what we call ourselves. Chestertonians. (laughs) Those who don't know it, I was really into G.K. Chesterton for quite a few years. Still am. Uh, He's just phenomenal. Probably my favorite writer of all time. Uh, But I'm not into him like some people. There is a Chestertonian cult out there. And I actually edited their magazine for a short spell. About a year and a half, I think, I edited this magazine. It was, it was a labor of love. No no pay or anything. And it was a thing called Gilbert Magazine. And it was the merging of three separate Chesterton societies in the United States. There's like the Midwestern Chesterton Society. Then I think like the... Minnesota, Treston Society, whatever, but they merged their, their forces, their membership to create the American Treston Society and they produce this magazine. It's, it's pretty neat. For a neat little magazine, I definitely recommend checking it out. They could use this, the support. I think the circulation is maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred. So it's a very, very small magazine. But anyway, they're probably crestfallen because G.K. Treston's cause for canonization will not be moving forward. The Bishop of Northampton said three reasons. One, there is no cult surrounding Chesterton. Now cult does not mean, you know, like Krishna's and <laughs> the Ragadishis or whatever <laughs> you know, clanking symbols. That's not what they mean by cult. Cult means basically as soon as a person dies, people who knew the person come forward and said, I think this person was a saint. You know, so like if I die, you know, you <laughs> people coming out of the woodworks in my hometown saying, I think this guy's probably a saint. And we ought to tell the bishop about what everything this guy did for me one on one or whatever they said when Justin died, nothing like that happened. Funny story I heard one thing uh there's a relatively unknown saint, I forget his name, but he's been recognized as a saint, and one thing one of the things that people posited you know for his local cult this grew up around him after this this uh inconsequential bishop died, they said he kept going to this barber who was losing his eyesight. And the barber couldn't see. And not only did the haircut suck, and this bishop paid for him, the barber kept cutting his scalp, drawing blood, so it was painful for the bishop to go. But because no one else would go to this barber, you know, for good freaking reason, (laughs) this bishop kept going to him so the man would have his dignity of being able to earn money by giving haircuts. So, nothing like that happened with Chesterton. He had a big floppy head of hair. (laughs) <laughs> no, but no local cult came up saying hey this guy was a saint secondly they said there was no thread of sanctity they could trace out of his life they could they could tease out of his life they say he wrote a lot about spirituality um, clearly he was a devout believer and an ardent Catholic although he converted later in life they said clearly a believer and clearly a shockingly brilliant um, thinker but they couldn't trace out. After a couple of years of investigation, they could not tease out any um, string of spirituality and trust in him, himself personal sanctity. I think that may have been, by, <laughs> by the way, them saying, this guy drank and smoked a lot. Now, he wasn't vaping or smoking dope. No, he smoked cigars and he drank a lot of beer and wine. And I think some gin too. I'm pretty sure he's a gin drinker based on some of the stuff he wrote. I think that may have been them saying, you know, you don't have a whole lot of stories about this guy levitating or bilocating. <laughs> you know, we do have a lot of stories about this guy being drunk on Fleet Street in London, uh, drinking and writing. They he's notorious for just like pounding down huge quantities of wine while he wrote these brilliant articles. He is a huge man, by the way, something like 300 some pounds, like six foot three, and just humongous man. And keep my people a hundred years ago are smaller than they are today. Not a lot small, but definitely smaller. So to see this honking six foot two, six foot three guy weighing 300 plus pounds was quite a sight. He always wore a cape. <laughs> so. Anyway, they couldn't tease out <laughs> That's a threat of spirituality. And the third reason is the bishop said, well, there's the anti-Semitism in, in his writing. And that. And I was kinda of with him on the first two, I get it. The first two I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Second one, yeah, yeah, okay. But the anti Semitism, come on. I mean, Frick, why don't you say you're part of the far left and that if anything could be remotely racist or anti Semitic or you know, whatever, you're you're gonna you're gonna go ahead and subscribe to that. But basically it's just cowardice. We don't want to deal with it because some things he wrote back in nineteen twenty would be offensive to today's sensibilities. Now, I'm no expert here, but I know a ton of people who are Chesterton experts, and they'll say to a man that that allegation of anti-Semitism is complete bunk. The handful of references I have read to point out his racism, I'm just like, no, he wasn't anti-Semite. If that's your evidence, those passages, that's ridiculous, especially when you knew he was writing back in between like 1900 and 1930, you know, before the Holocaust, before things got hypersensitive to anti-Semitism. It was a different time. But it was not a different time. Like, oh, we all said the N word back in the 1930s when you pointed at a black guy. Well, that was a different time, but that may have also been kind of racist or kind of, <laughs> kind of pointed. Nothing like that, even. It was just, like I said, it's just, it's just appalling for the bishop to say we have this anti-Semitism. He should have just left back because he had the first two grounds were plenty not to advance the cause of Chesterton's canonization, but to think this guy was an anti-Semite is ridiculous. Anyway, today's uh, today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. We're going to do some lightning segments here in a minute, and then we're going to jump into a, a prolonged discussion or monologue regarding the world of total work. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, let's do some lightning segments. Hey, important note about the hour of power, if you're going to try it, I left out a reference to a very, very important tool the 3x5 card. If you're like me, when you have downtime, things will pop into your head. Many of them are a things you don't want to forget. Say, hey, that's a great idea. I want to make sure I do it later. Or b I gotta make sure I don't forget to do this later. <laughs> and if you're like me, you begin to worry about it. It's like, oh, if I jump back into you know this focus, you know purposelessness, you know focus without purpose. I'm gonna jump back into my focus here. I'm going to forget this great idea or forget about this thing I have to do later today. That's what that card is for. Just slowly, without getting distracted too much, just slowly write it down, then go back to your focus. It works brilliantly. Highly recommended. Don't use your iPhone Notes for this, in my opinion. Don't use the Note app. Don't use any electronics at all, in my opinion. Maybe it works for you, but... I'd go with a simple 3x5 card. It'll slip in your pocket when you're done. Take it with you to the office, whatever. Works well. For about 10 years now, I've been into alternative exercise. So I do these like 6-ounce lifts at the bar. No, (laughs) I, I, I do type of exercise they call caveman exercise. Where it's just something different. And so a classic caveman exercise... Would be you go out for a walk, and then you sprint for a little while, and then you jog, and then you sprint, and then you stretch, and then you sprint, and then you walk. You mix it up. The person who taught this system to me, Art DeBaney, I think his name was. Anyway, he said like basketball is a perfect caveman exercise. He you because know, you're jumping, you're shooting. You, have, you know, you shoot, you have to kind of set yourself game but then you're sprinting up and on the court and then you're moving back and forth shuffling because basketball is a great exercise for caveman exercising what i really like to do now i really got into it this summer, is Arobi. the summers playing Aerobi. the aerobie a-e-r-o-b-i-e if you had never used one get it get it. it's like nine bucks on amazon it's a frisbee but it has a great big hole in the middle and this thing flies and flies and flies. It holds the record for the longest anything's been thrown. I think it's like 300 yards someone chucked this thing. Um, my record, I threw it back in the 1980s when I first started uh, doing the aerobis. I threw mine like 130 yards. Um, so it's pretty cool. So I go out to a field, a football practice field. You want to be level. You know, with one or two of my kids, and we chuck this aerobi around. And you know sometimes you have to sprint to get it because you know you're trying to throw something 75 yards. It's not going to be on the money very often. But then you sprint to get it, and then you throw it to the next person, and you kind of keep moving while you do it. Great form of exercise. After a half an hour, you you would have sprinted a lot, walked a lot, jogged a bit, had to adjust. You know, like a wide receiver, look over both shoulders. You have to set yourself a lot to focus, and make a good throw. It's 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 excellent, excellent caveman exercise. Highly recommend it my son, Jack, was telling me he was in Kalamazoo, Michigan a couple weeks ago, and he went to a bar that had a beer market. And I'd heard of these before, but I didn't know exactly what they were. These are just brilliant. You go you go to the, the restaurant or the bar, and the price of the beer varies on how, based on how many people order ordering it. So like if no one has ordered a uh, hams <laughs> in quite a while, you might be able to buy a glass of hams for 60 cents. But if O'Bron's being ordered off the wazoo, that might cost $4.50. And the beer price is constantly fluctuating like in a stock market. Just, just sounds great. i, I got to get to one of those as soon as possible. Little daughter Margie returned from Europe last week. Ecstatic to see her. My daughter's driving me nuts, but I just, just love the to pieces. Uh, she has had three weeks in Europe. She went to Italy, Austria, Slovenia, Croatia... Germany, uh, spent significant time in all of them. She's also in Barcelona, Spain, but that was just a stopover. So that doesn't count. Uh, but she spent significant amount of time in all those places. Just loved it. And in Italy, she also went to Venice, which you know used to be kind of a separate city-state. So, at least six places she went. Or, but she spent a lot of time in Florence. The one thing she brought back to me, which just really hit me like a ton of bricks, is she said, all Europeans smoke... All Europeans treat their skin like crap when it comes to the sun. Now she didn't say all, oh, but what well, she did say all, oh, but she was not mean it. She was out. The, my friend, I went to, she was the friend I stayed with. Her family doesn't smoke, and they're just dark you know, My wife Marie, she's in the sun all the time, but she was there. Clearly, people you know, like like Meg. Meg has my skin complexion, the reddish hair. Cause she goes, people like me, their skin just looks like hell. They they stay in the sun all the time. They've never heard of skin cancer. She goes, you can't find like UV 30, 40, 50, you know, suntan lotions. People don't wear hats. No shade. Everything's sun-baked. And they smoke. And, you know, that's like a ton of bricks. It's like Plato. You know, Plato, the Greek philosopher, said society is man writ large. So if in your society you have a bunch of people who have a death wish... That means your society has a death wish. So juxtapose the European skin cancer promotion (laughs) and the non-stop smoking. Juxtapose that with the Muslim immigration where they bring in millions and millions of Muslims to take over their culture. Europe has a death wish. It's really, really sad. You can say what you want about European culture and I'll join hands with you some extent on the evils of colonialism and some of the atrocities that were committed. But I'll go hammer and tongue with you on the greatness of European culture, what it did for this world. And I, I actually have some grave, grave reservations about that because that was all part of part of the modern experiment. And I'm really getting into the postmodern type studies. I'm just like wow that whole modern thing kinda sucks. And the whole colonialism was part of that modern experiment. So I do have some reservations but the accomplishments of European culture can't be denied, so it's, it's an extremely sad thing. Especially when you look at European culture isn't just the past 400 years, which is where most of the atrocities took place. You know, 1500 on is when the atrocities took place. European culture goes back 2,000 years before that, and that's being lost in this death wish that Meg saw firsthand in every bar she went into, and in every beach she frequented. Again, very sad go check out once upon a time in Hollywood at least when it comes to Amazon Prime (laughs) Uh, I really liked it I checked out with my kids and my kids did not like it Uh, Michael did but the other kids just like it's it's horrible It didn't get it it languished and it did it's like gosh darn Tarantino Two hours and forty minutes, and that movie should have been two hours. And yes, you can say, "Well, Eric, you just don't get the artistry of it." Okay, fine, whatever. But I, all I tell you is, I was bored for like forty minutes of it. It's right in the middle of it. The beginning was great, the end was great. The end was a little bit over the top for my taste, but no matter. I love the period piece, Hollywood in the late nineteen sixties. I've always liked Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio; those guys cracked me up. I just, I re- always really liked them as actors. And I just thought it was a great movie. When I came out of it, I said I'd give it a a 5.5 or 6 out of 10 Just because that middle 45 minutes was so freaking slow But over the past couple days, as I've kind of ruminated on it I'd probably give it a 7 or 8 And if if it wasn't so freaking long, if it was only 2 hours I'd give it a 9 Really enjoyed it I would definitely highly recommend it At least to watch out of the comfort of your home Again, to sit there for 2 hours and 40 40 minutes That might be a bit much so I like have a pen pal, one of my blog readers, who we've been communicating for years. He's really into gardening, uh, farming, quite knowledgeable about it. He's often mentored me in many ways. A lot of questions I've had when I was try, uh, trying to grow things, different marketing ideas. He's done some small, you know, sales. He's, he's been in the overall ag industry all his life and knows this a lot about it. Whereas me, I am more of a city boy. I don't know much about it. I've been getting into it for the past ten years or so. And he'll sent me stuff once in a while. And last Friday, a package arrived with a bunch of uh, plants. It's in, a, it's in a padded envelope and a bunch of plastic, you know, wrap, plants, cuttings, runnings, whatever you want to call them. And I glanced at them because I was real busy. I worked like 9.30 Friday. And Sunday morning, I get up and I start going through this. And i like, oh my gosh, I have a bunch of stuff. And I look them up on the internet. And I realize that a lot of them, there's like seven baggies full of sedum i I have no clue if I'm pronouncing that correctly s e d u m which is a succulent, and I had actually talked to my daughter Meg earlier about hey maybe I should try to grow succulents so she loves them they're popular, they're very pretty um Maria would like to have them around the house anyways like, I, I thought about it like six months ago, so then i I get this package didn't ask for them i I did ask them for things like catnip and some mint things like that, uh, that I'm gonna start growing. It didn't ask the succulents, but they came and I'm, I'm stoked. There's one thing I know about me is, like, I'm a sucker for providence. (laughs) If I, if I think that something has been sent to me or there's a sign from God, um, I'm, I'm liable to bite and bite hard. (laughs) I try not to be too gullible, but I do. Speaking with you, if you, if you want to mess with me sometimes, wire me a million bucks. Just (laughs) wire me a million bucks. I will think that's God wanting me to be rich, and you really, really mess with me that way. So if you really want to pull one over on me and have me thinking it's God and it's really just you, that'd be a great trick. I can send you my rowdy numbers and my account numbers uh, later on. So I I go out this morning. I start potting these things up. I look up. I you know I this is they want sandy soil. I learn a little bit about it. I pot up all these plants. Like probably twenty, two dozen plus like another dozen seeds. And I'm just stoked. I'm I'm, I'm, gonna start cultivating these. I'll take my own cuttings, and then Max or Tass will probably sell them next spring. And kind of neat idea. Not gonna be a big big money maker, but well, definitely make some money to be, and it's gonna be low, pretty low cost. That got me kind of thinking though. It was fun. I mean, and I'm not saying everyone should enjoy potting up succulents. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. Most people would deem what I was doing this morning work in the sense that it's something they have to do. And because there's potential money at the end of this endeavor, it qualifies as work, not as play. And I was thinking, you know what? I disagree. And here I'm going to posit a theory or an idea so novel, I don't think I believe it myself. But let's explore it a little bit, or unpack it, as they say on podcasts these days. Let's unpack it. My theory is we all ought to throw ourselves into the world of total work. Everything you set out to do ought to be work-related, whether it's going to the office or your extracurricular activities, whatever it is, got to be working. Okay, so I work at the office about 45 hours a week. I'm in the garden probably 10, 15 hours a week. And that varies in the winter, obviously not nearly that much. I do this podcast. I engage in a lot of studies related to stuff I podcast about, and articles, and things I'm, write, I'm writing and working on. All of which could bear fruit. I mean the work at the office obviously bears fruit immediately. I, I get a weekly paycheck. Uh the garden uh bears fruit at some point in the form of you know form of money when the kids start selling the stuff and I take my cut um which still leaves me greatly in the hole. I hope to reverse that, I start making this profitable at some point, but still at this point it's not profitable. And then the podcast isn't profitable, but hey, it might be. You know, I have some Amazon links. People do go there, it does generate some Amazon money. So, you know, but that's not this is definitely much more of a, a work of love, so to speak. And my point is in this culture, everything you do ought to be work. Because this climate with the internet and the the extra disposable wealth that you you know um that, that you have access to, you can constantly be doing things that you enjoy that could have money at the end of the pursuit. This isn't 1890 when any work you did involved, you know, basically getting whipped in the back by a, <laughs> by a foreman working in a 120 degree smelting factory. Okay. Things are much better now and you can kind of create your own life. In fact, I don't think you need to go work in an office 45 hours a week like I do. I think you can come up and be a jack of trades, so to speak, be an entrepreneur and piece together two, three, four, five, ten different gigs that you make a living out of as long as you are constantly working. And I have clients who are like that, and I and it hit me like ten years ago. I realized what these guys are doing. It's like they are working twenty-four seven. And I'm gonna qualify that in a second. But it's just a couple guys I realized, Friday night, Saturday morning, Sunday, they are working constantly. And they are never, ever freaking stressed out. They just love it. And my point here is, just love it. Okay, so I'm saying work, 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 24-7. You're thinking, boy, Shesky, you're freaking nuts. And I'm saying, no, invert the binary. The binary here is work is, uh, we'll say work here is bad and it's juxtaposed against play which is good. And you know, in this culture we all wanna have fun and be that dude in the you know in the beer commercial and all that. And I'm saying no invert that binary, make work play. And if you approach your work with the right attitude, it's no longer work, it's just play. And there's so many different ways that you can make money in this climate. You should never have to work a day in your life. You could just play, 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 albeit in the form maybe of weeding a farming plot, which I actually enjoy, but most people would not find fun. I freaking love carting stuff around, pile up wood chips in a wheelbarrow, pushing it, putting them on my back, carrying it, whatever, getting physical exercise like that. I absolutely dig that stuff, especially when I'm like listening to a podcast while I'm doing it. Like one of the best things in the world, in my opinion. That may not be for you, but for me to call that work, that's really a freaking stretch. <laughs> And that's why I do so much of it with virtually no pay. One well, fact: I had no pay at all at this point. I still, three years into this uh this production side, I have and selling produce and selling flowers. I still haven't turned a profit. Although the flowers are very profitable, that that branch of the business is definitely turning money. But doesn't matter. The point is, it's something I find is playful. It's fun to do. Most people would find to be work. There's a bajillion things out there. Find one, two, three, four, five of them and run with it. Now, let me back off that a little bit because, you know, now I have a bunch of people running out there and they say, I'm going to do nothing but work, work all the time, just be a workaholic. And some people have called me a workaholic and I I find it flattering because I'm thinking, well, kind of a playaholic, (laughs) but fine, be a workaholic. Now, let me back off that a little bit. First off, I'm going to read to you from the book of Ecclesiastes. This is funny. Talk about providence. I had these ideas this morning, and then I went to Mass, and this was the reading. I kid you not. For what profit comes to a man from all the toil and anxiety of heart with which he has labored under the sun? All his days, sorrow, and grief are his occupation. Even at night, his mind is not at rest. This also is vanity. That's the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. So going back to my thing like I'm a sucker for Providence, <laughs> I'm like, oh man. And this idea of total work I was getting podcast about today and the very first reading at Mass is like, don't do that. But I don't think so. Cause it says they toil and anxiety of heart. And I focus on that phrase toil and anxiety of heart. Well first off how I set this whole thing up was, in today's climate, you can find things that are quote-unquote toil. But to you, they'll be play, like me in the garden. Okay, so it's not really toil. Second part, anxiety of heart. Hallelujah to that. And this is tough, but you can't approach these things with anxiety. If I got stressed out about the garden, I'd probably die before I was 60 of a heart attack. And I And I can't deny it, and we're going to talk about it a little bit here. Yes, sometimes the garden or the produce site, when it's not doing well, causes me anxiety. But, not normally. And in fact, over the past year or two, I've gotten really, really good at saying, Ah, uh, F it. And that's the attitude you need to bring to your different jobs. So let's say one of you are listening to this and you say, Hot damn! <laughs> I'm going to quit my job. Now I'm going to do what Shesky says. I'm going to start up a website. Now I'm going to start selling these widgets. I'm really into four-wheel trucks and I'm going to start working on you know, a repair shop, have that on the side, and whatever you're going to do. Again, you figure it out yourself. But then as you start jumping from these different ideas, you know, I got this job, this job, this job, this job, and you start stressing out about them, you're going to freaking kill yourself. It's a vanity of vanities, like the book of Ecclesiastes says, and you're going to be miserable. You have to put each job away when you move to the next one. And that's a tool in life you should always have. I want to try to phrase this tool as precisely as possible. It's the ability to pull your mind away from the last task to focus on the current task. I would urge you to develop that ability, that mental ability like you would develop your ability to bench press or to drive down your time in the 5K. I would cultivate and exercise your mind to yank it the frick away from the task you're not doing now, I'll beg you to do it, because it's something we don't talk about much. I, th- I think most of us think that oh, well, I'm just kind of a daydreamer. And my mind flits around, and I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of worried. I kind of, I'm a worrisome type person. I worry about things. I have a lot of anxiety. It's like, stop it. So, for instance, I was working in the garden yesterday. Had a great outing. Made a lot of progress. Worked three or four hours had to come back, Has had some studies I wanted to get done. I found my mind going back to things I did not get done at the garden. I want to go back and do them this coming week. I told myself, stop it. You got to get your mind off the produce site and focus on the book you're reading right now and these notes you're taking, this thought process you're doing. You need to yank your mind away from the last task and put it on the next ta- task. This is a life tool. It may not be natural, just like maybe bench pressing 250 pounds is a natural. You gotta develop it. Okay, so that's like the first caveat I would give you if you're gonna try this, this world of totally work when you're gonna do nothing but quote unquote work. And again, I put it in quotes because it's kinda like play. Secondly, if you do this world of total work, you're gonna find yourself blowing off people a lot. That's my biggest Freaking problem i've been in, i've been in the world of total work now honestly since I was probably 26 i just didn't know it i've always been doing something else working as a writer you know at one point i was making as much as 10,000 bucks a year off my writings and edited a magazine for a while uh working at the office working in the garden it's you know, again i've i realized recently it's like oh i'm kind of like um uh, maybe a workaholic or again a playaholic and i'm I'm okay, I'm okay with that i just didn't really realize what it was but that makes me kind of a son of a bitch when it comes to others. And it's really, this is, this is a bad thing. Because you need to spend time with people you love. There's no, no other way to put it. There's basically two ways to show people you love them. And that's you give them things or you spend time with them. Well, in this culture, money is plentiful. You may not feel like it is, but it is. We are shockingly, shockingly wealthy. So giving people money is probably not the best way of showing you love them. So you spend time with them. That's how you show people you love them. And you need to do it. In my case, I come from a large family, in-laws, and my own family. And I have friends. I just have a ton of people, quite frankly, I like a lot. And I'm not talking like, oh, Eric's such a loving guy. No, I'm just, <laughs> I mean, my brothers are cool. My brothers-in-laws are cool. Uh, I mean, everyone around me is pretty much cool. And I like spending time with them. But yet, I find myself kind of showing them off to the side because, hey, got to get in the world of total work. Don't do that. You have to carve out the time for others. Okay, another thing. This this whole work 24-7. You can't. You have necessities you have to do. You're going to have to eat. You're going to have to sleep. You're going to want to exercise. Unless your work makes you exercise, like me and the produce site. You have to toiletries and personal hygiene, hopefully. (laughs) For the good of those around you and your businesses. You don't want to reek. Another necessity is prayer. You're gonna to need to carve time out for prayer. As I indicated last week, and I'll indicate it another you know whenever you want to talk, I'll tell you the same thing at least an hour a day. My man John Sr. out of University of Kansas, and I keep meaning to talk about him some more, but he, he, he wrote this book called The Restoration of Christian Culture and he basically said ten percent of your time the two point four hours a day are dedicated to prayer I don't think he's right about that, and what something I want to explore. But he said, 10%, you're supposed to tithe everything to God. That's not just your money, that's also your time. Therefore, 2.4 hours, I'll be going to God, because you have 24 hours in a day. My response to that is, yeah, well, I don't think I have 24 hours in a day. Um, if God wants to make me into someone who does not need to eat, sleep, or take a dump, uh, yeah, maybe I have 24 hours in a day, but right now, I don't have 24 hours in a day. Um And then I'll see what I have net. It's like the whole thing about do you tithe out of your gross income or net income? I strongly believe it's net income. I'm open to the gross income approach, but I've thought about this extensively and it's just, I think every other approach just breaks down. I think it has to be net income. And in fact, I like, I like C.S. Lewis's um, answer when he said this. He goes, I don't know. I don't care. The fact is, if you're not giving to charity and back to God enough that that it hurts a little bit, then you're not giving enough. I don't care what the percentage is. That's probably the best test I've ever heard, but anyway. So you have the necessity of spending time with others. You have the necessity for prayer. You have the necessities of your life, like sleeping and exercising. I think closely related to prayer, I think you have the necessity of doing nothing. G.K. Chesterton wrote twice essays about the importance of doing nothing, just like staring off into space, lying in bed, staring at the ceiling. You need some downtime that is totally down. Not watching TV, not getting drunk, <laughs> just down. And no one does that, by the way, but I urge you to do that. 5, 10, 30 minutes a day, maybe just on the weekends. Just take time off just to sit on the front porch and stare out from the space. Downtime. For whatever reason, that's when the muses talk to you. That's when ideas come to you. That's when grace flows. It's when you're just shut down. And maybe you say, oh, okay, I'll do that. Okay, Eric, I'll make that the John Sr. 2.4 hours. <laughs> so I could do one hour of the hour of power in prayer or study, whatever you want to call it. And I'll take the 1.4 hours and I'll use that as downtime. Since that is kind of a quasi type of prayer. And I could, I could respect that. It probably may not be a bad idea. So the point is once you build in all those exceptions, you ain't working twenty four seven. I don't know what you are working, you know, maybe you need ten hours of sleep a night, maybe you need six, maybe you need eight like I do, I don't know. And then maybe a large family, but maybe a small family, I don't know, but your world of total work is not gonna be the world of total work. All you're really doing is jettisoning Netflix. That freaking whore. I'm I'm canceling my Netflix subscription by the way, I think I just have to, but <laughs> so you're watching a lot less TV. Uh you're just not effing around. You're not spending just absolute idle time with others necessarily. I mean, because let's face it. I mean, you can spend too much time just effing around. You, you you and a buddy. Well, I love my buddy. We have a great time out drinking together, and which, which, hallelujah! I think that's great stuff. I really do. Going out to hit some bars with friends. I think that's. I think that's like a great, a great good. You know, within reason. You don't be sloppy drunk or anything. But I think that's a really cool thing. I think it's a great thing. I think it's uh, healthy. But if you're doing that five hours a night, seven days a week, let's face it, you're way overboard. And even if you're not drinking, it's like, oh, my buddy and I went golfing this day, then we're bowling, then we're out getting drunk, and then it's like, okay, too much time with the buddy, stop the bromance, you know. So everything's gotta be, you know, you got you gotta throw all this advice like into a kettle and mix it up and shake it up and pour it out in a way that fits your life. One final thing. It's kinda funny, these thoughts on total work. I was like, boy, I'm gonna do a life of total work. And by the time I build in all these exceptions, it's going to be a very balanced life. It's not going to be bad at all. It's going to be quite enjoyable. As long as I approach it without the anxiety of heart that Ecclesiastes condemns and many, many, many others condemn. And it's, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. It reminds me of back when I first moved back to my small town and set up shop as a lawyer. I was involved just in a ton of things. Partly because I needed to develop my practice. Partly because I'm getting re touched with old friends of mine from high school probably because Maria's new to town and she's really an extroverted and she wanted to get to know people. But I speculated that, I bet you I could stop eating. <laughs> and I'm serious. I actually put a pen to paper and I thought to myself, I could probably stop eating forever. I'll only eat when I'm at one of these social functions and then I'll gorge myself. You know, I probably won't get invited to very many social functions and eating all the food. But, <laughs> but, but typically there's food. They're like throwing food out at the end of the night. Never thinking, boy, between, you know, my weekly Kwanas meeting and, you know, you know, this, this meeting on Thursday and then the Saturdays after mass, people go down, you know, for, for a soup supper or whatever. I could probably just really eat big meals and get by and never eat again and never pay for a meal again. Just strictly what I do through my community volunteering, especially if I start going to these, like, these, these free soup kitchens where they, I don't know if this sprung up in your neighborhood, but we have like two, two churches. They want you to come. Even if you don't need the food, if you're wealthy, they want you to come eat when they're giving the food away. That way it's more of a community thing. There's no stigma attached to it, which I think is really cool, by the way. I haven't done it yet, but these two churches that do it, uh, one's Episcopalian. I think the other one's Methodist. I'm not sure. But yeah, I think it's really cool. It's like, no, 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 it's a community supper. And yeah, we all know it's for the poor in the community, but it's not just the poor. They want everyone to come and everyone hang out and get free food courtesy of the church. But again, those things come out of my community efforts. I thought, boy, I'll never have to buy another meal again. And if I understood then, like I understand now, the benefits of intermittent fasting, which is a fascinating topic, by the way. You know, going a day or two without food. You know, if you're, if you're concerned you have cancer, uh, but you just, you feel like you're being paranoid or whatever, just starve yourself for three days. Don't eat anything. There's evidence, so I'm told that that will wring the cancer out of your body as a, as a completely deprived of sugars. Just just keep hydrated if you do it. So, Anyway, just a couple thoughts. Consider the world of total work. See what fits your life. Alright, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show. The Weekly Demon Twitter feed is active, so go subscribe to that. And I always welcome emails, suggested topics, questions, commentary, ericscheske at gmail.com. I'd love to get emails from you guys. I'll always try to respond. Uh, sometimes I get, honestly, I get, I get too many I can't respond to all of them. Not just the Weekly Demon related, but other things. But I will try to respond. And if not, you know, by email. Or maybe I'll put it on the show and I'll, I'll, I'll mention your topic on the show and kick it around. As always, thanks for listening.